singing some tunes in Spanish today as well. This is one of them. Or actually, if we're ready to go, I think I might do a different one called Land Baby. I wrote this song when I was living in San Francisco, and I had lots of friends who loved to go to the ocean every weekend. And I'm from New Mexico, so I didn't quite understand the ocean. I thought it was big and scary, and I couldn't see myself getting into it. It was really cold, of course. So I started calling these friends of mine sea babies. And then one day, I was walking down the street, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, if all my friends are sea babies, then what am I? I'm a land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. A land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. I need lots of space to think, I need mountain water to drink. Where the sun turns your skin to leather and your heart into gold. I'm a land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. A land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. Uh -huh. Things move a little slower in land time, in land time. One or two millennia is the passing of the tide. I'm a land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. A land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. Yeah, I'm a cactus eating sand lady. I'm a desert baby. unknown, the spark of life ignites, and we are born. We enter a world, a universe, not of our making. Our lives unfold in mystery and wonder. Questions abound, for which there are no definite answers. And so we gather in community to seek in one another assurance and recognition, compassion and strength. We gather in community to be reminded of what is most ultimate and what is most sacred in the spirit of searching and of reverence. Come, let us worship together. 
come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Do what are we? to everyone. Welcome to those joining through Zoom, and those in the social hall and the family room across from the sanctuary, as well as everyone who's joining us for the first time today. We're so glad you could all be with us here this morning in our multi-generational service, where people of all ages are welcome to stay here in the sanctuary throughout the whole service, where the small noises we all make, like coughs, sneezes, paper shuffles, don't bother us as we join in a community worship. Here at First Unitarian, we are working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community, and we are so glad you are here to be a part of it. Today, we have Tori Muir with us. She's a worship leader in training. Thanks, Tori. We're so glad to have you on the team. I'm Mia Norin, I'm the Director of Religious Education here at First Unitarian, and I have my story box with me today. A story box is a great tool for telling stories, and I have one to share with you. So this old story has been told and retold for many, many years, and we're not quite sure where it comes from, but most seem to think it comes from the country of Azerbaijan, that area. Oh. Long ago, there were two kings who could not get along. And over the years, they became angrier and angrier at each other until one of them, furious, finally announced, I'm going to war against you. Everyone, prepare for war. Now, the other king had not had to fight anyone for at least the past 15 years. He had nearly forgotten 
where his battle gear and his armor were stored. Finally, on the day before the war was to begin, he asked his mother, find me my helmet and bring it to me. I guess that then, as now, children always assume their mother knows where everything is. His mother went away, but soon returned empty-handed. Why didn't you bring me my helmet, he complained. It can't be used, she said. It's too full of life. Well, that sounds weird. That's a funny thing to say. What do you think? What could be the meaning? Hmm. Well, the king, too, was surprised and also a little confused. And so he went to go find the helmet himself. But his mother stood in front of him, blocking his path. Please, please don't even touch the helmet, she begged. But mother, I am king. How can a king go into battle without his helmet? So his mother told him what she had seen. Mother dove has built a nest inside your helmet. Inside the nest are three tiny baby doves. <laughs> uh, oh, let's see. Oh, it's also a worm. A worm! <laughs> I guess that uh, mother dove is doing a good job feeding her babies. <laughs> Although I could have sworn that worm looked like a candy worm. Oh. Uh, well, back to the king's mother. She pleaded with the king, don't touch the helmet and please don't touch the babies. Doves are the most peace loving birds of all. They never harm another, well, except for maybe the occasional worm. And every day this mother leaves the nest and brings back food and tries as hard as she can to keep her baby safe. So how could we destroy their home? If we as much laid a finger on that helmet, the mother dove would get scared and fly away. And then the tears and cries of the baby doves could bring misfortune and disaster to our country. This time, son, why don't you go to war without your helmet? Well, the king listened. He was sure he would come to serious harm without his helmet. But on the other hand, his mother was known far and wide as a very wise woman. And so he decided to go to battle bareheaded. A king without a helmet. The sight amazed the other kings so much that he took a white flag and rode over to the helmetless king's side to ask, where's your helmet? Why aren't you wearing your helmet? How can you go to war without your helmet? <laughs> well, the king with no helmet replied, a bird of peace, a dove, has built a nest for her three little babies inside my helmet. My very wise mother advised against harming the nest, so I came to battle without my helmet. The warring king could not believe his ears, so he sent his advisor to check if these words were really true. 
The advisor returned and said, yes, it's true. There really are little doves nesting inside his helmet. The warring king was astonished. He paused for a moment, then extended his open hand to the helmetless king and said, let us make peace together. Let it be forever. You didn't want to destroy even the tiny nest of the mother dove and her three babies. How can we then destroy the homes of thousands of people? And so the two kings signed an agreement to keep their peace forever. And from that day forward, the dove became known as the symbol of peace in those lands. Of course, the two mothers did all the work, but everlasting peace is a wonder. <laughs> is one story of how the dove came to be the symbol of peace. As everyone knows, peace can mean many things. And it isn't just about the absence of war or violence. It is the presence of beloved community and justice and love. If you are here in the sanctuary, we hope everyone received a paper dove when you came in this morning. And if you didn't get one, just raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. If you are online, we are sharing a link right now to a dove that you can use for our meditation this morning. You can print this dove at home or, and use the image to draw your own dove or save the link for later. So I invite you to consider for a moment, what is it you think of when you imagine the presence of peace. What does peace look and feel like in your home, in our community, in this congregation, in our country, with our planet, with the world? What does the presence of peace look like? I invite you to think of a hope, a prayer, or a blessing, something that might get us closer to that presence of peace that you wish for in this world, and write it or draw it on your dove. If you are at home, you are invited to write your prayers on your doves at home, and or you can share your prayers and blessings in the chat, and our dove scribes We'll write your messages on a dove at some point and place it on our tree here in the sanctuary. You may write your blessings now. And as you are ready, you may come forward place your dove blessings on the tree and all of you kids that are here children young folks on your way back to your seats you are invited to come and get a wor gummy worm from Mia who will be by the tree and if you cannot come forward easily and would like 
We'd be glad to place the dove on the tree for you. Simply raise your hand when you are ready. Let us bring forward our blessings and prayers of peace. Tantas veces me mataron, tantas veces me morí. Sin embargo, estoy aquí resucitando. Gracias estoy a la desgracia y a la mano con puñal. ¿Por qué me mató tan mal? Y seguí cantando, cantando al sol como la cigarra. Después de un año bajo la tierra, igual que sobreviviente que vuelve de la guerra. Tantas veces me borraron, tantas desaparecí, a mi propio entierro fui sola llorando. Hice un nudo en el pañuelo, pero me olvidé después que no era la única vez. Y seguí cantando, cantando al sol como la cigarra. Después de un año bajo la tierra, igual que sobreviviente. te mataron, tantas resucitarás, cuántas noches pasarás desesperando. Y a la hora del naufragio y a la de la oscuridad, alguien te rescatará para ir cantando. Después de un año bajo la tierra, igual que sobreviviente, que vuelve de la guerra. consider what's on our hearts today. As a caring people, we feel deeply the pain of loved ones and of strangers alike. We ache for the injustices that we see and the common miseries of just simply being alive. We hold all these things tenderly. With them in mind, at the sound of the chime, I invite you to speak the names of the people and places that are on your hearts into our sanctuary. <clears throat> we also pray for Kathy Peterson as she recovers from a broken hip. 
May her recovery be swift and comfortable. And all of these, all of these, we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. Let's join our hearts in prayer. We remember the late Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs and his litany of atonement. And we acknowledge those times when we remained silent, when a single voice would have made a difference. We acknowledge those times when fear kept us from seeing the pain that others feel. We acknowledge the many ways that we allow ourselves to be distracted from the present and disconnected from our bodies. May we forgive ourselves and may we forgive others and may we vow to begin again in love. We give thanks for rain and snow and every kind of precipitation. And in the restful, darkened days of the season, we remember the words of Thomas Merton, who said that we should love winter when the trees say nothing. May we find wisdom and rest in the quiet of these days. We pray for this beloved congregation as it strives to live into its potential. May we be limber enough to bend in the direction of justice and rooted enough to hold fast to our values. May we all find joy in each other and, and in the things that we co-create here. May we receive joy with humility and sorrow with perseverance. May we stay ready to be surprised by the divine showing up in the strangest of ways. And may we all be held in the heart of love. The peace of doves with you. member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association covenants to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, diverse multicultural beloved community. community journeying towards spiritual wholeness we work to build a diverse multicultural, multicultural beloved, beloved community, community by our actions by, by my actions, actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and, and our, our institutions. institutions. Our actions dismantle racism in our institutions. We covenant to journey together, together, together towards spiritual wholeness to build beloved community to dismantle racism and other oppressions together 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 that was the text of the proposed eighth principle for unitarian universalism arranged by michaela renz whitmore for our three voices 
good to be together, together, together again, Jane and Bob <laughs> up on the platform. So I'm so happy to be up here this morning with Reverend Jane Davis, affiliated minister of First Unitarian Church. And you may have noticed on the sermon signboard and in the newsletter this month that we also expected Damaris Donato to join us up here for the message today. Damaris is out sick, unfortunately. And that is five for five since we restarted this second in-person service. We've had a leader of the service out sick every single week but I'm proud of us for modeling good self-care and putting health first. So we do want folks to rest, even if they were supposed to be part of the message. So Jane and I met yesterday with Damaris though, and we did some, um, some planning and talking through for the service. I invited them to join us, to join me here uh, in, the, in the front of the church this morning because I wanted to talk about this thing that you've probably been hearing either in your groups at the church or buzzing or read about it in the newsletter, the eighth principle. At last January's annual congregational meeting, our congregation adopted a strategic plan, which is the fancy way of saying the directions we wanna to go together at a church, as a church. We adopted a strategic plan that named anti-racism, anti-oppression and multiculturalism as a major direction for our church, something we wanted to deeply commit to specifically in this year and the next several years. So the eighth principle, as you just heard, is about just that. And a few months later, after that meeting, the board created what we call the eighth principle explorations task force, a group whose job is to assess our congregation's readiness to adopt this principle and to help guide us and inform us as we consider doing that. So Reverend Jane and Damaris are the co-chairs of the task force. They're on it together with Gary Carlson, Heather Clark, and a board member, Maya Stevenson. And our vote on that is coming up next month at the next annual meeting. It's coming right up. And we are doing this whole thing for a very important reason, this vision that we share that's named in the directions. A vision of a diverse, beloved, multicultural community. A diverse, beloved, multicultural community. Something that you use have dreamed about for a long time and have been working toward in a huge variety of ways over the years. And this thing that we're considering now, this principle, would put that work at the very center of our faith. So now we have seven principles, and now our Unitarian Universalist Association of Churches is considering adopting an eighth principle to explicitly commit to anti-racism and anti-oppression in efforts to move our faith to be multicultural and to ensure that our doors and our institutions are open to people of color, people of all classes and life experiences, people of all gender identities, and people of different abilities. So where did this idea come from, Jane, this idea of um, not just doing inclusion and welcoming and anti-oppression work um, as a project, but adding it to the principles as an eighth principle? So what's the origin of the eighth principle? After working with congregations for over 15 years, Paula Cole Jones 
an independent consultant who specializes in multicultural competencies and institutional change, identified the fact that a person could actually follow the seven principles without ever thinking about or dealing with racism and other oppressions on a systematic level. She noted that most of our UU congregations are primarily European American in membership, in culture, and in leadership. And that is true even when our church is located in or near diverse communities. She realized that an eighth principle was needed to correct this, and she worked with anti-racist activists to refine it. Um, you can find lots of detail on the eighth principle uu.org website. So why are we as a congregation considering adopting an eighth principle? We are doing this to explicitly commit to anti-racism, anti-oppression efforts, to move our congregation to be multicultural and to ensure that our doors are open to people of color, people of all classes and life experiences, people of all gender identities, and people of different physical abilities. These are things I've heard you use long for a lot over the years, all of these things. So what has our congregation been doing about it this year? What, what has the task force been up to since that vote last January? Ah, okay. Well, our, our board created a task force known now as the Eighth Principal Explorations Task Force. It was created to assess our readiness to adopt this principle and to inform us in this endeavor. The eighth principle explorations task force was charged with offering learning opportunities about the eighth principle and guiding our congregation in its discernment about where we are in our multicultural journey. So some history. We on the task force, we began implementation of the charge with some team building meetings. We then met for brainstorming sessions where we took into consideration what other UU congregations had done in this effort. We then assembled a plan containing three major parts. The first one was to meet with representative groups from the congregation to discuss the eighth principle and to share thoughts, suggestions, concerns. Two, we provided, we wanted to provide an opportunity for members to participate in a survey to assess an assessment that would assess where individuals are in an intercultural developmental continuum, where, that's a lot of words, yeah. <laughs> um, to where, where we are in journeying toward our multiculturalism. And, and then to discuss the results with an, an assessment administrator trained in this assessment process. 
We have now progressed to a point where discussions have been held with over 30 representative groups in the congregation, groups such as the Children's Religious Education Council, the Social Justice Council, the Sunday Explorations Group, and the East Mountain and Socorro Satellite branches of this congregation. Also, a large number of congregation members have completed the intercultural development assessment and discussed the outcomes. And we have meetings now scheduled for early January to discuss any and all questions and concerns associated with this process. Now in all of this, notably, the discussions of the outcomes of the assessments have often resulted in the, in the realization that intercultural development is about coming to understand that with respect to cultures outside our own, we operate in that unknown space, that quadrant that is the unknown space where we simply do not know what we do not know. Therein lies the challenge, right? <laughs> that, that was a lot. That, so this task force, this explorations task force, had a huge job in front of it when the board created it was to somehow help the congregation get ready to consider this vote that's coming up next month and okay so they did it by meeting with over 30 groups you said and so that must have been well over 100 people in the congregation i'm guessing yeah and i think at least three groups that i'm a part of had somebody from the task force come and do this presentation um and so so lots of people have taken this this assessment, this, what was it called again? The uh, intercultural, intercultural development, development assessment. Yeah. inventory. Inventory assessment. Yes, and I took it as well. And I know that it takes some courage to, to open yourself up to an assessment like that. Um, something that gives you a snapshot of, you know, where your, your level of knowledge and familiarity, overestimating, underestimating cultural differences, right? Yeah. <laughs> and to get that feedback, <laughs> because we all want to believe that we are welcoming in intercultural contexts and, uh, and other contexts of diversity, and we can probably point out some ways that we each are, right? Some specific things that we try and practice as individuals, but then the assessment helps us see that, that part that we may not realize is there, what we don't know, we don't know. This reminds me of a, there's a quote I heard a while back that I've shared before, something about like the larger the island of knowledge, the longer the shoreline of wonder, <laughs> like where like beyond what you know is all that other stuff. So this, this assessment has helped lots of people um, get a sense of what the work is that we would have to do as a congregation in order to realize this dream. And, does the, do you expect that many more people would have an opportunity to take this assessment, you know, in the months to come? I suspect so. I yeah. suspect so that we would be able to do that. So this is bold work. This is bold work we're thinking about undertaking by adopting this um, as of one of the principles of our faith, which I hope we do. I personally hope that we do it. So one question I've heard is, 
what would happen next if we if we do adopt this eighth principle specifically committing to multiculturalism and inclusion and dismantling oppression and one thing i know uh and I've heard this also when talking with other ministers of congregations that have done this, is that by making diversity, like embracing diversity, and by making dismantling racism and under, other oppressions part of our principles, we move it from something that we do, you know, on a committee works on it, or it's a sermon, to the way we do church. It puts it right at the center of how we do things, not just what we do. So adopting the eighth principle at the congregational level is an act of covenant making among us, the members of the congregation. And it brings us into a blatant discussion by naming this thing. Yeah. So it makes it a systemic thing, the way we do church, and a part of the specific covenants we enter into each of us as individuals. Challenging, but also just deeply, deeply meaningful work. Our call to worship this morning spoke of a world not of our making. All of us alive today have inherited systems of oppression that perpetuate inequality, systems that we didn't make, but that we find ourselves inadvertently reinforcing just by living in them and being steeped in them. They get reinforced by our thoughts and our actions, often without us even realizing what's happening. Generalizations, unfortunately, like our seven principles, help us to stay put. They support the status quo. Naming and talking about our specific commitment helps drive us to action. That's why with something that's so big and so thoroughly embedded in society, it's important to name it as a specific principle and not just assume that it's implied in the other principles. And our principles were always from the start intended to be a living covenant they were intended to change and to adapt over time. Yeah, it's interesting because it was, I think it was in the 90s before I was old enough to be paying attention to what was happening at denominational <laughs> levels. But I understand the, the principles were, were, you know, a kind of a struggle. They were, they were hard fought and hard won to get the ones that we have today. Um, and, uh, and yes, we're always meant to stay alive and living and adaptable. But they've become sacred to many folks. You know, you can find them in the front of our hymnals. They're just right there, almost as if the hymnals were the sacred book, right? And then you open it and there are these principles. And so it can feel daunting um, for many folks, I think, to consider changing them by adding something. And I've heard some folks um, express a concern about whether the proposed principle has the right words or is the right format. Yes, I, I ran into that quite a bit with visiting uh, several of the groups and uh, uh, that was clearly a going into our head with the format and the words. And it reminds me of a writing. The writing is called Balancing Head and Heart and it's by Erica L. Bartlett. The pastoral advice in this writing is 
we need to focus to not exclude our heart from the decision-making process. Sometimes we get caught up in our heads and it's natural that there is discomfort in change. I know that it's true with me and with many you use, we live here, we live in our heads and that doesn't help to connect us with others. Leading with intellect is not the best approach. This goes for our social justice work as well. For instance, have you seen much evidence of changing someone's viewpoint by giving them a table of pros and cons and running through bullet points of statistics? Though I love to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's empowering. <laughs> it hasn't worked for me. <laughs> We often use the phrase getting to the heart of the matter. We say this because the heart drives so much of what we do. I hope we can all continue to think about ways of finding the right balance between our head and our heart and to consider leading with emotion because opening and sharing our heart is the best way to connect with others. And in the end, isn't that really what we're here for? Yeah, heart-led work, absolutely. I think also when we go with our hearts, it helps to get our egos out of the way a bit. That's what I've found in my own learning as well. So we've got this vote coming up next month. And the thing about a vote is we would expect with every part of our work on anti-oppression and diversity, multiculturalism and inclusion that not everybody in a congregation of 750 people is gonna be all going at the same pace or on the same page or agreeing on the same strategies all the time, but, but we're still one community and it's possible to move forward as a whole congregation, even as we are each finding our place within the work. And we hope that as multicultural and anti-oppression work deepens in our congregation, that everybody is gonna find a way to be a part of it that feels meaningful and satisfying to them. So if people still have questions or concerns though, you mentioned an opportunity to get together. What should people tell us about that? January 5th, 6 p.m. We will have a discussion on the eighth principle and all are welcome to discuss questions, concerns, whatever. Um, we will have a consultant, Julica Herman de la Fuente. She will be facilitating the discussion. She was born and raised in Mexico City and, and she first became committed to social justice when she came to the United States to go to college. Julica is currently completing her path toward ordination and has been an anti-racism, anti-oppression educator and trainer in a variety of capacities for the past two decades. So please come explore with us as we journey toward wholeness in beloved community. January 5th at 6 p.m. and is that on Zoom? 
That um, is on Zoom. Yeah, and folks can probably find the link on the website, the eighth principle task force page. Yes. Yes, and also in the newsletter that's coming out and uh, e-broadsheets and that sort of thing. So the annual meeting is going to happen on the last Sunday in January. You're going to hear a lot more about that as we get closer to it. It's in the afternoon. And as we wrap up the message for today, I'm thinking about this month's theological theme of wonder. Um, and specifically, I have witnessed just some incredible transformations in people in our congregation who've taken up this work, people who um, discovered what they didn't know they didn't know, who had um, kind of a world-shaking moment and who stayed with it um, and have, have are expressing their own sense of wonder now at what um, is before them and at the feeling of being able to see this thing that um, causes all of us some deep discomfort in our lives um, and has often left us feeling helpless. Um, but now knowing what they didn't know, they're more empowered to um, begin to tackle that stuff. I too am in a place of wonder. I wonder what expanses of interpersonal connection are possible and what we will do and learn together from this courageous step into individual and group vulnerability. I can't wait. Thanks, Jane. As I introduce this quarter's new change for the future partner, <clears throat> I'm thinking about our eighth principle. And for folks who aren't aware, every quarter, every three months, we, we choose a new partner within the community to support with uh, the donations in the, during the offering. So if you put any change in the change in the basket, that goes to that, that person, that, that organization. Or if you want to do a check or dollars, put them in the, uh, the envelope in the back of the seat in front of you and mark it as change for the future. So I'm thinking about our eighth principle related to this. You know, and part of the eighth principle that I really like is that it names our duty to both undo racism and other oppressions. So in my own anti-oppression you know, education and practice, I think a lot about this thing called intersectionality which sounds really jargony, but it's the idea that different identities combined to increase or decrease oppression. So let me tell you about Street Safe New Mexico. Street Safe New Mexico serves women who are trafficked. So until this spring, I spent many Friday evenings for about two years I was doing this, standing on the sidewalk at Chico and Charleston, right by the International District, also known as the War Zone, I was helping the folks who run Street Safe New Mexico do outreach. We offered clothes and hygiene products and food to the women who walked over from Central. Now, many of the women who are forced into the sex trade are also unhoused and using drugs. So while Street Safe is doing this outreach and handing out the basics, they're also doing casework, connecting the women they serve to resources that might get them out of the life. So through your generosity, First Unitarian has several times in the past couple of years paid for hotels for their clients who are trying to get out of that life. And you just needed a place 
where they could go and be away from it. And the generation of this congregation, the generosity of this congregation made it possible. Working with Street Safe New Mexico, I found a place where I could lean deeply into our belief that everyone has dignity and everyone has worth. It's all too common for people to dismiss women in their circumstances as somehow deserving it. But while I was on that corner, I saw their faces and I saw how they suffer. As I heard their stories, I saw the patterns of intersectionality. A woman in a sexist society who is also poor can end up not getting the mental health care that they need. And as they spiral, their circumstances are likely made worse if they are a person of color or not a heterosexual person and on and on and on it goes. Street Safe New Mexico serves the most vulnerable people I've ever seen in my life. Street Safe is tiny, they are all volunteer, and they are absolutely unafraid to do whatever it takes to help their, their clients. So please give them your support by putting a donation in an envelope and marking it change for the future. And thanks in advance. is called La Paloma, the dove, and it's uh, by Los Folkloristas from Chile. I'll do my best to translate during the song. Canto 
sing your song that it may reach the sea. Take flight, my dove. Sing your song that it may reach the sea. I live only to work. I yearn for rest. I carry all of the worries of he or she who knows not where they go. Oh, my dove, bring me freedom from so far away. What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian and thank you on behalf of Street Safe New Mexico. Good morning. And so I have some invitations for you. So this Wednesday, we will have a blue December service at 7 p.m. It'll be both in person here in the sanctuary and on Zoom. And to find the Zoom link for that, you go to the website and you use the Wednesday Vespers uh, Zoom link for that service. We will have two Christmas Eve services on Saturday the 24th at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. here in person in the sanctuary. And the 6 p.m. service will also be available on Zoom. We will be celebrating together with the Albuquerque Center for Spiritual Living, which has been sharing our campus with us since October. And Angela will share the pulpit that evening with their minister, the Reverend Amani Malaika, as well as Imam Abdurraf Campos Marchetti, the Imam is the leader of the Minara Muslim community, which also shares our campus. There will be caroling with a fire pit and hot chocolate in the courtyard in between the services at 5 p.m. led by Susan Peck and myself. So we hope you'll join us. And finally, a heads up that on Christmas Eve, we'll be on Zoom only. There will not be an in-person, what? Christmas Day, I'm sorry, Christmas Day, sorry. Um, Zoom service only with Reverend Bob. And that will be at just 9 a.m. So just remember on Christmas Day, only one service on Zoom with Reverend Bob. Thanks. Awesome, thanks, Tori. So we love visitors. And if you're feeling bold, and this is your first or second time here, you wanna put your hand up and we can just give you a warm welcome. All right, oh, we got a bunch of folks. We're so glad you're here. If you haven't already, check out the membership table. We're really glad. And they're actually, this, the sanctuary may feel a little empty, but there are actually 130 people at this service right now, because 90 folks, last time I looked, are on Zoom. So let's wave to our friends on Zoom. Hey, y'all. We love you. We're glad you're here. 
Right on, right on. Uh, and folks may not be aware, or maybe you are aware, there's a pledge campaign going on. And hey, Catherine Probasco, could you give us a little update on the pledge campaign? I sure can. So good morning, everybody. As you know, this year's annual pledge drive is wrapping up. Um, and as usual, we're a little shy of our budget goal. So I'm here today to ask for volunteers to help pull together a couple of alternative fundraising options. First, see, we're looking at a supplemental bake sale, right? And all you, uh, is that right? Yeah, that's right. All you bakers out there, we need 308,654 Rice Krispie treats to close the gap, please package them individually. <laughs> um, and if anyone can also find us 300,000 people who want to buy Rice Krispie treats, please let the church office know. Um, if the bake sale doesn't put us over the top, we'll also be holding an old fashioned car wash. It's a plan to take a shift on a brisk January Saturday doing a polar bear car wash in the middle of winter we won't have to compete with the local high school teams who will wisely be staying indoors uh, we will need to wash approximately 800 cars that day so please bring your own bikini sponge and towel if you're unable or unwilling to participate in these alternative activities please Make sure you submit your pledge for 2023 today. Um, and if you have already submitted your pledge, we thank you for your generosity. Thanks, Catherine. Don't you love Rice Krispies treats? I invite everyone to rise and body your spirit for our peace greeting. Placing one hand on our heart, extending the other hand out, make eye contact with your community. Please be seated. This is a song about friendship. You may have also heard it before. It's by Jose Fernandez Diaz, musical adaptation by Pete Seeger. Julian Orbon, and it's based on a poem by Jose Martí. It's called Guantanamera. So if you'd like to sing along, we can practice the chorus. away from this world, 
I want to share the verses from my soul. Yo soy un hombre sincero. De donde crece la palma. Yo soy un hombre sincero. De donde crece la palma. Y antes de morir me quiero echar mis versos al alma. of a clear green and a fiery carmine red. My verse is a clear green and a fiery carmine. My verse is that of a wounded deer who seeks protection in the mountains. Mi verso es de un verde claro y de un carmín encendido es de un verde claro y de un carmín encendido mi verso es de un ciervo herido que busca en el monte amparo white rose in June just as in January I cultivate a white rose in June just as in January and it's for my sincere friend who extends their honest hand cultivo una rosa blanca como en enero cultivo una rosa blanca en junio como en enero para el amigo sincero que, que me da su mano Guantanamera, Guantanamera, Guantanamera. 
Thank you for singing. Go in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be. I'm a land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. A land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. I need lots of space to think. I need mountain water to drink. Where the sun turns your skin to leather and your heart into gold. I'm a land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. A land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. Things move a little slower in land time, in land time. One or two millennia is the passing of the tide. I'm a land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. A land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. Give me a road that goes to nowhere. Give me the wind blowing through my head. I'm chasing down that horizon, baby, and I won't come home till dawn. Hey, I'm a land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. A land baby, desert baby, cactus eating sand lady. Yeah, I'm a cactus eating sand lady. I'm a desert baby. Huh. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everyone.